everyone. It's Alan Schimmel, DevOps.com Security Boulevard, and you're listening to another DevOps Chat. Today's DevOps Chat is really my pleasure to have uh, an old friend, acquaintance from, from the security business side of the house, Tyler Shields. Tyler's recently joined Sonatype. Tyler, welcome. Thank you, Alan. Appreciate the invitation to chat. All right. Let's get the housekeeping out of the way, Tyler. So you joined Sonatype about a month ago now? That's right. Yep. And you you are uh, basically running corp dev strategy type of role? I'm yeah. sure there's a real title. Yeah, so the official title is uh, VP of Strategy in BizDev or CorpDev. Uh, I work with a gentleman named Bill Karpovich who runs it at the SVP level. And uh, yep. we're, we're looking to do some pretty amazing uh, growth initiatives inside of Sonatype and help Sonatype take it to the next level and push it towards a, a much bigger uh, platform. That's fantastic. And actually, I know Bill, I guess back to the uh, SourceFire days. Yep, yep. He's been around the block a bit too. We're all we're all a bunch. We're all a bit long yeah. in the tooth. And right, <laughs> we, we should mention that Tyler, you and I go go back a bit of a ways. So Tyler, one of the other things that I always love talking to you about is, you know, so many of my guests on this show are very very technical. Not to say that you're not very technical, but I I, I really relish the chance to talk to someone about business. And, and business climates and business strategies. And, and you're kind of really a, a guru when it comes to that. So <laughs> if you don't mind, let, let's focus in on that on this episode. On I don't mind at all. What, what makes it interesting, I come from a, a weird background that your listeners may not know, but I actually was a offensive pen tester through at stake, came up through the ranks at, at Veracoast while I was on the R&D teams, helped build out uh, rootkit and anti-debugging detection technologies, right? So I went down that academic security rat hole uh, very, very hard to the point where I remember having a very distinct moment where I was in days, I think six or seven of the same pajamas and you know, you spent 10, 12 hours a day hacking code and you just got to the point where I need to go do something else. And it just wasn't right for me anymore. And I remember the day that I left that world and went over to the more business side, uh, Chris Ang, who is a very close personal friend of mine, bought me a talking Darth Vader mask and said, I'm going over to the dark side. To the dark side, absolutely. Yeah. You know, but it, so, but here's the thing. And, and I see a lot of similarity there, though I'm, I wasn't quite as technical as you. But, you know, I often hear from people when I'm at conferences speaking, how, how do you get to where you are? What, you know, how do you kind of straddle both worlds like that? Because I'm, I'm, I'm right. Look, I went to law school and I did my law thing, and I, but I got into technology by playing with networks. And and truth be told, Word Perfect was my first kind of thing that I really screwed around with. But you know, I, I'd done it all and and did my own hosting company, but. It, let's be clear, Tyler, it's a rare bird, it seems anyway, that could have a foot in both of those worlds. Yeah, it, it is. Um, and for me, honestly, and I would tell this to anybody that, that asks me, it's about following what you're passionate about, yeah. right? And when you lose the passion for whatever it is, you find whatever's the next passionate thing and you double down and you dedicate your time to learning and focusing on that thing. And uh, for the first half of my career, I was very focused on on bits and bytes and building security technologies and breaking technologies. And went did you know did my master's degree in in computer science focused on security and um, and then just one day I wanted to try something new. Right, the it, the challenge for it had left for me, and that's when I went back and I actually did my MBA uh, focused on business. And for me, 
I'm not saying you have to go back to school to make these kinds of shifts because you do not. Um, but for me, that was my immersive way of spending two years of study, a very focused study. And then it's just immersing yourself in that world, right? And yep. getting, getting yourself networked with the right people who know that you can learn from and being humble and being, uh, showing humility that you don't know everything. And as no, long as you approach the world that way, you're in good shape. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And really for those listening out there who say, geez, I'd like to be like Tyler when I grow up. Focus set, on set one bar higher. First of yeah. all, bar higher. <laughs> <laughs> but but seriously, there's one word you use that I think people fo- need to focus on, and that's passion. Be passionate about what you do. If you can't be passionate about what you're doing, find something else to do. That's that's and, true. And 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 that's where that is. So Tyler, but we also, you know, I'm reminded of the uh, Eddie Murphy Dan Aykroyd uh, movie Trading Places. It's not just the genetics, it's the environment, right? And we live in a very interesting times environmentally when we look at the what's called now cybersecurity. I still call it info security world. Um, why don't you, I'm gonna, I don't want to put words in your mouth. Give me the what you think the lay of the land is here in terms of where we are around security, whether it be cyber info or what have you. So... You know, there's a lot of, there's two ways I can approach that answer, given our previous discussion we just had, right? I can approach that answer as the technical shifts that are occurring, right? So uh, DevOps, Agile, Cloud, containers, kind of how all of that is changing both the development side of the world as well as the operational side of the world. Everything is being reimagined and rebuilt. Uh, that's kind of the, the, the first purview. The second purview, and most people don't think about this when they come from the security side of the world, is that actually, I think that a lot of security problems are largely solved or solved to a, let's call it the 80-20 point of acceptance and happiness for the, mm-hmm. for the, for the buyer. And diminishing returns. And, and, and that's true. And now don't get me wrong, I'm not suggesting we, we stop further research and we don't push and innovate the technology. But if you're a young startup founder in the security space right now, I would tell you focus on different go-to-market strategies, focus on uh, uh, price point differentiation, focus on ease of use, simple deployment, uh, getting data to the right people at the right time. You don't really necessarily need to focus on 98% accuracy of your assessment tool, getting it to 99, because Mm -hmm. it doesn't matter. That doesn't sell your product, right? And so... Uh, it's very interesting to look at a lot of these startups now are really uh, innovating and disrupting based on go-to-market models, ease of use, SaaS versus non-SaaS, um, you know, credit card swipe charge models. Instead of $100,000 a year total contract value, you're swiping your card at 200 bucks a developer and everybody swipes their own security card, right? So um, it's pretty interesting times that we're looking at. I think both of those ways can still differentiate and innovate in in the security space today yeah i i think the other thing tyler though is security as much as some of us may think otherwise security does not exist in a vacuum right in security today we are being confronted with the truth that we can't just be the people who say no at the end of the the caboose of the train we're not in the caboose anymore right um, we are seeing we are seeing such disruption in the way 
software is developed and the way it's deployed and the way it's you know updated and managed and 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 so forth that security needs to jump in with two feet right yeah. to stay relevant to stay on stay on point when, where do you see you know, it creates opportunity it creates it creates disruption yeah. but it creates opportunity so i think there's a couple there's there's one thing that i've i've been talking about for years now and it it makes security traditional security hardened people bristle the moment i say it um, and i call it the minimum viable security model mm -hmm. it's not really about maximum security because if you put maximum security in place your usability your all of the other flip side of the security coin goes goes to garbage right and yeah. they find ways around it well it's always difficult to define viable, but minimum viable security is what security people should be shooting for. Instead of coming from a point uh, all the way on the right that says, this is hardened security, as hard as we can secure our SOC, our network, our PCs, whatever, and coming back until you get to a point where the business functions, you gotta come the other way. What is the minimum amount of security that is viable to actually securing our environment. So come from the other side of that coin and push until you get to the point where we've got good security, good enough security, and don't go any further than that. And that's a hard thing for modern security people to grasp. They always wanna come from that world of lockdown. Yeah, I mean, it, it gets to the heart of managing risk and, and what's acceptable risk and all of that. But you know what? Look, we, we both come and lived in the security world a long time. It's not. It's not just the security people who have to grasp that concept. It's oh gosh, it's way more team team too, right? Yeah. They've yeah. got to understand that we're not necessarily going to be the people who say no. We're going to be the people who say yes, we can. But yes, and I call it the yes and. Right. right. Yes and. Yes and, and here's how you do it. <laughs> exactly. And and if we're telling you here's how we do it know that we're trying to give you that MVP. Yes. But, you know, MVP sort of spot on the on the continuum. When you push beyond that, you're going below minimally viable, which is not viable, right? Yeah, yeah. and, and that's problem. the catch. Identifying viability in this kind of minimum viable security uh, model that I'm talking about, identifying viable is the difficult part. What I mean by that is uh, in the world of cyber espionage and state agencies and government problems, viable is very different than the viable security level you need to put into uh, a basic application that manages you know, my band's gigs on a Friday night, right? Yeah. So the viable shifts and that's the gray part. That's the managing of risk. That's the, the area where it's not binary. Mm -hmm. um, so that that's the hard part of understanding how much security to put into play, and, and it is, and, and it and it it takes, it probably takes a little of experience, a little experience, and you've got to be really familiar with what it is you're trying to accomplish business wise. But it, it can be done, and I and I think that's where we're headed. You know, we're recording this. I guess it's the week before Christmas, right? This next week's Christmas. Looking at 2019. Everybody's doing their predictions and what the new year. I don't know if 2019 is going to be a hell of a lot different than 2018, right? We're still going to see a whole bunch of headline-grabbing security incidents. Um, my biggest fear is that we pass from 
you know, having our security incidents be measured in terms of how many records were stolen, like personal identifiable information. And we don't move on to how these security instrument uh, uh, security incidents were catastrophic in terms of damage caused to infrastructure or some other critical piece of this. And, and I, to me, that's you want to know the truth. That's what keeps me up at night. Yeah, you know, I think it's um, how we measure the results of uh, a, a breach. Mm -hmm. That's really a difficult thing, right? Because you can. You can equate it to dollars per record, which actually the insurance industry is getting to the point where they have pretty good dollar per record uh, yeah. type numbers. But does that really show the impact on the individual human being? Uh, no, not really. Um, and how do you how do you quantify as a dollar per breach metric? How do you quantify how much uh, security you really need to dump in? If you have 100 million records and dollar per record is three dollars $3 per record, do you really need to spend $300 million in security on that? I, my point is none of that is formalized in a, uh, in a good academic way today. It's very hand wavy and that leaves such a gray area for people to know what is acceptable. In the, in the world of law, there's always the concept of, um, I forget the exact term they use, but it's something to the effect of doing what's right and appropriate, right? Uh, the level that's appropriate of security. Well, what is that, right? What is that? And that it, my level of appropriate security in my home is very different than the level of security at the White House. So, no. so we can quantify that, that we're reasonableness. It's a reasonableness. That's the clause I was looking for, right? Yeah. Reasonableness. And, then, and, and that's the well-defined thing in negligence common law, right? Yep. What will you have an eggshell skull plaintiff versus a a plaintiff was a normal skull, right? You, you can take different measures. But but here's what I'm talking about. Back to your minimally viable. What's minimally viable to protect your personally identifiable information or your medical records, let's say, is very different than what's minimally viable to protect someone hacking an electric grid or a water delivery system or you know, some other kind of thing where, you know, PII breaches will will be literally small potatoes to what really bad things can happen, right? Chaos ensues. Uh, taking down, just taking down the traffic lights in a metropolitan area. Yeah. Something silly like that. Yeah, you know, it's it's funny. People will, will begin to ask this question of, of, uh, of reasonableness. And it really comes down to uh, what is reasonable for that particular context. Yep. And the problem is we're, we're able to, as a litigious society, as a legal society, provide reasonableness based on hundreds, if not thousands of years of humans being around and the knowledge on, okay, that, that hard eggshell versus non-hard eggshell right. bump in the head. Security as a practice has not existed nearly one percent as long as yeah. general law. So there's just no way to say the reasonable level of security in this context is X. The other flip side of of that is is kind of defining, uh, well, is the reasonableness in context and kind of trying to understand how to truly apply that. Um, and there's just no uniform. There's just no uniform approach to it, and that makes it an extremely difficult solution. PCI. PCI is a definition of reasonableness for the retail world. Really, yes. that's well, what it comes down to. Be anyway, was supposed to be right. We'll 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 leave out the uh, the arguments on the efficacy of it uh -huh. aside. 
But I feel like there has to be some kind of governing bodies jumping in here that say this is reasonableness. This is where we're going to define reasonableness in this context. And it can't be a global context because that'll never work. It has to be unique to certain scenarios. Um, and geographically, yeah. I hope in 19 or 20, 2019 and 2020, we start to see some of that, at least maybe around voting, democracy, those levels of things would be nice. Um, I'm not going to bet my life on it. I'm not going to bet my life on it, but it would yeah. be nice. It would be really nice. It would because here's the. You know, it goes back to you know. You, this is why we can't have nice things on the internet. Right? <laughs> I mean, if only we could solve these things. I mean, what what a great boon to humanity. I mean, the internet and technology could be, but for some of these things. So directly back to your question, Alan, uh, 2018 uh, was an interesting year. 2019, I think we're going to see continued pushes and shifts in movement toward uh, automation of builds, breaking of builds, right? Really, DevOps is skyrocketing, as you know, right? Being yep. a DevOps, DevOps guru that you are. And that's because it's, it's automation. So I, I believe we'll see significant upticks in security automation in 19. Um, around around the actions that come from security tools. Security tools, every security tool is three things. It's data in, analysis, and actionable intelligence out. Every single security tool. And we've done a good job of taking huge amounts of data in. We're starting to solve the analysis problem better with AI, but the actionable nature of the results are causing a human problem with insert huge number here of heads of people we have to hire. So automation becomes the next frontier that really has to occur in a, in a rapid way. So I, I think 19 and 20, we'll see a lot of automation techniques, a lot of applying uh, AI to lessening the requirements for humans in the SOC or in the uh, response capacity. Um, so I'm excited about that stuff. And then I, as I mentioned before, I think we'll see in 19 and 20, a lot of shifts around security business models. They have to change to become more democratized. Absolutely. So let, let's take a couple of those things a little deeper. So first of all, you know, what I think sort of gets, is not spoken about, but should be understood when we talk about automation is speed, right? When you start automating these things, you are increasing the velocities as such that humans really can't keep up. Right. If, if you could truly automate the, the, the velocity becomes that it's almost like self-fulfilling. Right. The more you automate, the faster you go, the faster you go, the more you have to automate. Right. And, and it's an important. Right. So where, do, you know, and so AI and machine learning and all these other great and big data, all of these mega trends kind of play into that. Right. But, and, and where does that leave? The security analysts, because that, right, people listening to this, there aren't machines, I don't think, listening to this. <laughs> right? It's people. And they're saying, oh, that all sounds great. I got to put food on the table. Yeah. So there's a, there's, here's the deal with ML and AI in the security space. Um, well, here's the deal with ML and AI across the board. It's, we are way too early to say that ML AI is going to take over entire huge categories of jobs and things like that. You really need to be looking at ML and AI and saying, hey, this is an automation component to take the low, the low hanging fruit of decision making off the table for the human. So the human 
you know, can do basic things like look at a square peg and put it in a square hole. Well, guess what? ML and AI can do those level of decisions, freeing the human up for the advanced decisions, freeing them up for the gray area decisions that there is no real answer to. Every AI system has to have a truth oracle, okay? And that truth oracle provides the long-term answers to what is right or wrong as the ML and AI system continues to learn. Well, the human being is that truth oracle in these systems, and it provides back, here's the 80% of the things that I don't even think about. I just know this goes here. And that's what the AI and the ML learns today, freeing us up for that 20% of, of higher order difficult decisions. And we are so behind the eight ball in the security world with regards to hiring. If we could automate away 80% of the decisions that have to be made by the humans, we'll still be in a amount of debt. A, 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 F, and men. And that is the problem, right? We also, we have a human problem in, in, in security. So you know what? The entre entrepreneur in me looks at that situation, Tyler, and says, wow, this this, you know, it's like looking at a room full of horse manure. There's got to be a, a pony in there somewhere, right? <laughs> and, and, and so there's a pony in here somewhere, right? I, I think it's a time for a, a real opportunity. People looking out there saying, you know, how do I capitalize on this? Or where is the opportunity? Without, you know, maybe giving away your own secrets, what would you, what would you recommend? Yeah, I mean, let's, to, to continue the AI story, uh, let's not look at AI as the panacea to anything. If we look at AI as the automation side of the house, right, as the kind of intelligent automation, it becomes very clear where we can provide value to customers. So by that, I mean, if you have a SOC analyst who looks at 100,000 different items a day and you can AI away 80,000 of those, thus freeing up 80% of your SOC analysts to look at other things, there's a direct ROI on your product to be bought. Right. Mm -hmm. And so that's, you know, automating what humans do in a way that make their life easier and free them up for higher level things is one great way to look at any kind of technical innovation you're making today in this world. Um, I think the other side of that, the, the other piece of that, as I mentioned before, is innovating in a space that is slightly long in the tooth with regards to user experience, with regards to the business model that they're taking and where they really haven't thought of, hey, let's do things differently here and doing it in a way that makes it easier on the buyer, easier on the consumer, easier on the user, because then you can disrupt a market that already exists and has been a billion dollar uh, revenue stream for companies for the last 10 years. You can disrupt that and start to steal significant revenue for them. So that when I'm talking with the, um, the young security entrepreneurs, I work with a number of them, um, these are the kind of things that I press them on, uh, you know, besides the normal product market fit and getting your products to market and, and building your business. These are kinds of the, the larger thought processes I press them on. Absolutely. So, Tyler, I, I think I mentioned when we started, this time goes really fast. This was the, uh, <laughs> the longest 15-minute, you know, 30-minute <laughs> interview that we've done. But um, we're about out of time. I'm going to just give you the final word, though, for for folks listening out there interested in this stuff. You know, final thoughts on what you can tell them for for 2019 and beyond. Yeah, things are going to change in 19 and 20, and it's going to change faster than it's ever changed before. Follow your passion, whatever it is. Don't be afraid of innovation. Don't be afraid of doing things differently if you're an entrepreneur in the security space. Embrace the change. Um, and uh, call me if you need help. 
Excellent. Hey, man, Tyler Shields, welcome aboard to Sonatype. I'm very lucky to have you. Uh, best wishes for happy holidays, happy new year, and we'll catch up with you in 2019, man. You too. Thank you, Alan. All right. Tyler Shields of Sonatype here on DevOps Chat. This is Alan Schimmel, and you just listened to another chat. Bye.